0: JamesvilleAmedia.com.
1: It's time for the last
0: action podcast! Widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Listen to them. Children of the
1: Night. What music. Welcome, everybody, to this special. It is Nightmare on Last Action Podcast with the Sphinx and Deadite. I'm not going to hurt you. Not going to hurt you. (laughs) I don't believe you. Uh, So, welcome. We are doing classic as... We keep doing classic horror movies here on our special episodes. Here, uh, the new
0: stuff is too scary for me. I don't have the constitution for the new stuff.
1: <laughs> no, fair enough. We are doing 1980s Stanley Kubrick's... I always say his last name wrong. Kubrick. Kubrick. I don't know why I always want to say like Kubrick, but Kub. Q- it's like Kubert, Q- like Q- Stanley Kubert. Kubrick. Beep, beep, oh. Kubrick. Uh, his famous movie, The Shining, is what we are doing uh, this week. And as a special treat, um, this is not the first time for me seeing the movie. Yeah. It is actually the first time for Deadite to see the movie, believe it or not. The tables
0: have been turned.
1: For sure. But we had a really cool experience in watching this movie. So uh, Deadite and uh, Mrs. Deadite, uh, L, uh, actually messaged me because it was playing as a special... Airing on uh, at AMC Twenty, yeah, uh, here in Livonia, Michigan. Uh, so they were doing a special screening of the film. Uh, so we actually went to the movie theater and were able to to watch this film on the big screen, which it was a pretty cool thrill. I'm really happy you invited me to do that, and because we didn't originally have this one on my list, because it was one I'd actually seen, but I am so happy that we ended up seeing
0: it. Yeah, there's there's something about seeing a movie in the theater that I just enjoy. I know some people just don't want to do it. TVs at home, sound systems at home are nice enough where people don't necessarily always feel the need to go and do it, but... I would say my wife and I go probably twice a month to the movies. Um, you know, we go when there when there's deals and sales on the tickets and stuff, but I just like seeing a movie in the theater. There's something about, like, knowing that it's inappropriate for me to pick up my phone and, and flip through yeah. or get up and go. To, I don't get up and go to the bathroom. I just hold it, and I, you just, the giant screens in front of you, you just get sucked into it. And, you know, when she messaged me and was like, hey, The Shining is showing at AMC. You want to go do that tomorrow? I'm like, Yeah, I've. uh, It's been a movie on my list for years, and to the point where I bought a copy of the movie to watch. Oh, okay. It was in a pack that had several Stephen King movies in it, Uh, and then I got it home and I realized that it was a Stephen King's The Shining, made for TV miniseries. (laughs) Oh, oh boy! Not the real Shining at all. You know, (laughs) I bought it because it had that had it. Okay. And uh, I think probably, again, a made-for-TV version of Pet Cemetery. I should have known it wasn't the real deal other than it was the real it. Um, because it was like four ninety-nine for three movies. <laughs> oh, I should have yeah. known. But I, I just... I, so I I was like, I'm not watching this. I'm going to watch The Shining. I'm going to watch the Kubrick ones. So. Yeah, fair enough.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean what's interesting about this movie cuz so taking this episode a little bit different from others I I did some research with this one mm-hmm. um because I mean this is an intense movie in terms of what the after effects have been in, in cinema history to be quite honest
0: um well, it's 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 one of the movies that falls under the horror genre the suspense genre that isn't Considered a B movie, it's not looked down upon. Where you know the the movie industry can be very snobby when it comes to horror, and this is a Stanley Kubrick movie. It doesn't. It's not looked at that way. This is looked at as a real deal, legitimate piece of art. Where a lot of horror movies aren't looked at that way, and let's be honest, a lot of horror movies don't deserve to be looked at this way. so it, it's a it deviates greatly from the slashers we've watched or, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, the you know zombie type movies like this is a psychological thriller. You know? Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up, you know, Kubrick, Kubrick. Oh,
1: my God. It's going to drive me nuts. Kubrick. And how like he has such a storied history at this point. In, in movie making with 2001, Clockwork Orange, um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that actually doing the research, this movie was actually not liked critically when it initially came out. Really? Isn't that crazy? So yeah. people were not in love with this film. In fact, it's the only movie of his up
0: to this point that was not nominated for a single Academy Award. None you know that that's mind-blowing and I think we'll talk about it later but there's one specific area that I would have thought it would have been a a, a slam dunk for yeah uh, two areas in my opinion that this this film would have probably exceeded every this came out in what 1980 1980 there's I'd be curious to know what won Oscars in 1980. Yeah, actually. I'm going to look it up. Okay. You you can keep going. I'm going to look this up just so we know. Yeah,
1: I'll tell you. Do you know the Razzies? The Razzie Awards? Yeah, I'm familiar. (laughs) I'm a horror movie (laughs) fan. I know about the Razzies. So the Razzies' first year was 1980, and this movie was nominated. Isn't that crazy?
0: That's nuts.
1: It was nominated along with Shelley Duvall, who plays the wife.
0: Wow. (laughs) Shelley your performance has far outlived your career <laughs> yeah
1: I mean I this might be maybe based on initial critical reviews maybe the the worst initially rated movie ever maybe because compared even, to its longevity and its right? influence yeah because even all people that were still around over time have looked back into this movie and were like yeah I was wrong like. I, I don't know maybe what I was thinking initially like maybe kind of what you were mentioning they were expecting I don't know they were expecting different from the film and I think that I, I think it just kind of surprised them I guess would be my guess because I think this this is a movie that the level of horror in it is debatable it's definitely a thriller oh, um, man. but maybe more like drama thriller than necessarily horror thriller. Because you even mentioned in the theater when we were there, you're like, you knew that only one person is killed in this movie.
0: Well, well what, what I did say is I I, I knew that the, the killing would be limited because yeah. they're locked in a giant hotel together. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit more during the, the premise. But I knew this wasn't going to be a movie full of bloodshed. But a lot of these movies that are uh, about a haunting or an entity that... Uh, takes over or plagues a family often isn't a ton of bloodshed. It is about the scares and the setup for the scares. But, I mean, there's there's flashbacks of things that are gruesome. There's yeah. a lot of blood flowing down a hall. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, is, um, it is horrific. It's just it, it greatly deviates from a slasher movie, a zombie movie, a vampire movie. It's just because it is a lot about... What happens to the human mind? It is about um, the evil that can be brought out within us. Yeah. And so it just, it's telling a very different story. And, it, and to be real real honest, it's a more refined story than uh, corpse comes out of the ground and bites you. You know, it, yeah. it just is.
1: And, and that's, that's the thing just getting into it as well in terms of like how I feel about this movie. That's what I love about this movie is that there's a lot of depth to it. And I love a movie that's got a lot of depth. Did you find our answer? I'm guessing
0: *Chariots of Fire*, maybe 1980. Uh, okay, so the the 1980, which was the the 52nd Academy Awards, some of the stuff on here, I go, I don't know, I wouldn't have picked any of this over <laughs> *The Shining*, but I get it. Picture of the year, Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, okay, okay, right. okay you know, uh, yeah. I don't know if that's for me, but uh, okay, um, Kramer versus Kramer cleaned up in a lot of the categories. Uh, but then we get down to Best Cinematography. That's one I thought that The Shining should have been oh, yeah. in contention for. Apocalypse Now. Okay. okay. Yeah. I don't like Apocalypse Now. I'll straight up say I don't enjoy war movies at all. It's not a genre I like. I yeah. think it is. I like the fictional horror. Mm-hmm. The real horrors of war actually are uncomfortable for me. Okay. So I, it's Fair a enough. genre I don't watch. But, again, I get it. it's a really good movie. Um, I was trying to find, like, sound design. I don't know if that was even a thing back Or actor? Actor. Uh, I'm gonna
1: guess it's Kramer versus Kramer. Hoffman, yeah, Dustin Hoffman.
0: Hoffman won Best Actor that year. Um, but you know things like um, Best Film Editing again. That could have been something that The Shining was in contention for. But all that jazz won. Okay. Um, production Design. Yeah. So I don't, visual visual effects. Alien. Okay. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Alien was gonna win that. Oh, Best Sound Mixing. Apocalypse Now. Yeah. The sound mixing in Apocalypse Now is like textbook good. Yeah. Like, in college, we studied the sound work in Apocalypse really? Now. Yeah, okay. it was like the, you know, I specifically remember a whole lecture just about the sound design of Apocalypse Now. So I get it, but, you know, it was a big year for movies. Clearly, 1980 was, yeah. but, yeah, you know, it, like you said, if it wasn't even nominated, that is surprising in some of these categories. So bringing
1: it up, because you just mentioned the two things, I, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the music And the cinematography of this movie, like I feel like, based on who we're talking about and the film in question, like we gotta have a little bit of a conversation here. Um, I think the 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 music that plays out in this movie is phenomenal. I think that the way it is used, whether there is no sound or the way that Kubrick is using the instruments to convey what's happening. Is so textbook horror movie that I almost feel like like it it becomes the staple for what other movies afterwards do. Like you get like like the psycho strings, like dun, dang type of thing, but it takes on a different level. Like what I think of is when throughout the film there they're they're using their fingers on the string instruments mm-hmm. that makes it feel like creepy crawly like, the, like type of feel to that like I love it and then even the main theme as they're driving you know it's just the scene of them driving to when when Jack's driving to the resort you get a kind of John Carpenter element to that
0: it's a foreboding sort yes. of sound a big sound
1: it's it's very like heavy metalish right yeah. like it's very minor chord mm-hmm. dominant And it just sets up such a mood. Because one thing that you and I discussed also after the movie is the movie is a slow burn in terms of what goes on in it. And I think that what still keeps me captivated throughout the whole two and a half hours is the music. Mm -hmm. Like it is that music that is continuing to drive me uh, into enjoying the film overall.
0: Yeah, and the musical cues uh, do an excellent job creating the madness of the film. The mm-hmm. film is about descent into madness, and the music amps up and gets more and more frantic and chaotic as the movie goes along. And, you know, again, it's it's hard for me to just have the recall because I'm not a horror movie historian like I once thought I was in my <laughs> early 20s. <laughs> but. This movie has a very early example in my mind of using audio to an extreme to create discomfort, which is something that's much more prevalent in the genre. After that point. Yeah. Um, it's just tough for me to think about horror movies in the 70s that did it really well. I would say some of Wes Craven's uh really early stuff. Okay. Last House and Left did did that to some degree. But this uh did it at a very high level. But again, it was a high-budget movie, you know, oh yeah. Run by Stan Stanley Kubrick, and they they do do such a good job, job with intense loud sounds that build tension. Uh, And that's an experience you get in the theater. If I would have watched this at home with my little rinky dink speakers built into my TV, I would not have got that experience. So that was one of the things that was cool about this: to be able to enjoy this movie to its fullest in 2019. Yeah, because
1: you're right. Because you know, the they when they use the sound, there's a lot of crescendo and day crescendos that are going on, right? So it's building exactly. Um, I I absolutely love how how the music is used throughout this film. And then the the other part of this is is the artistic side of it visually and the the cinematography that's going on. Um, I love the use of the colors, the use of the yeah. shapes throughout it. Like just seeing images of like looking down into the rug and like the geometric shapes as Danny is driving, you know, you know his uh, his big rig or big wheel or whatever it is. Just you know the look of the hotel itself. It also gives that cold vibe, you know, that this is a isolated place. There's not much to see or do. And it just helps
0: set such an additional piece to it overall. It, it makes it feel otherworldly to me. Yeah. When you talk about specifically the, the carpet designs and, and and the designs in the wall, it makes you feel like a place that's not familiar to you as a viewer um, and... It, it's, it is distinguished because I'm sure we can all think of places that had unique carpet that we've never forgotten. Mm-hmm. I will never forget what the carpet in the Kobo Hall in downtown Detroit <laughs> looks like. It's a really distinct carpet. Yeah. And um, so it's it's one of those things that it's not something that you think about, but it does create more detail and gives a unique look to the room.
1: Yeah, I think of two things. I think of the bathroom in room two thirty-seven with all the green yeah. tied to it. And then it at the in the ballroom, the bathroom, that's like such a strong red of blood. Like, it just it just helps
0: set what's going on so well. And and when the when the movie takes place in this labyrinth of a ho- of a hotel Having those unique pieces distinguish those scenes. That way it doesn't all blur together because if this movie could be all hallways and grand rooms or it could be all individual smaller hotel rooms, but it's not. It gives character to each individual sequence that makes it stick in your mind and makes it memorable opposed to it all blurring together because it doesn't have visual distinction.
1: And it feeds into the madness as well because, you know, in the film it says that the hotel was made in the early 1900s. Like, clearly that use of colors wouldn't have existed in that time frame. So it also plays on your mind about, like, what, what era of time are we in in this movie? You know, like, like that kind of stuff is what I love about the film overall. The, the final thing in terms of the cinematography I wanted to bring up is this is one of the very first movies to ever use the Steadicam. Yeah. Um, which, again, I think does, especially on the big screen, is really cool to see. Like Like having the camera just flawlessly flow behind Danny as he's driving his big wheel around the hotel is just cool to watch. When the camera is just flawlessly steady, as jack is going up the stairs with the you know that that climax point uh, of him confronting his wife like it's so cool to see
0: how well that camera work is displayed overall yeah and um to me the the thing you know it it's interesting i didn't know that that this was like one of the first movies to use the, the steady cam that's now so popular and prevalent in every film that's right? made um but the use of zooms mm-hmm. in this movie zooming in and zooming out yeah. to create focus and tension, uh, I really liked that was an area that you know was a direct choice um, of how to shoot and how to present this film that I liked a lot and stillness too like mm-hmm.
1: sometimes it's just a blank look mm-hmm. that, that the characters are giving that just sets such a mood of what's going on
0: well I, I'm under the opinion that, Filmmakers that are really good know how know when it's time to take that beat to let the gravity of the moment exist. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean a shot being too long because they didn't have the sense to know that the length isn't adding to the moment. Um, and you get that with this movie. It's something that I think Spielberg does really well. Mm-hmm. I think he knows when a moment needs to to have its breath. And uh, it's something that you you definitely get in this movie because it has great direction. Yeah.
1: Uh, Moving on, we have, uh, you had mentioned earlier that that this is based on a Stephen King novel. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, Stephen King hated this movie when he first saw it.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, He felt like, and I've never read the book. Have you ever read the book?
0: I don't know how to read.
1: (laughs) Well, that would be hard to read the book then. Uh, I'm really interested in now kind of reading it, actually. But I guess it deviates quite dramatically Mm -hmm. from the book. So when King saw it, he was like, this is not my vision. But again, like, that's so typical of when we see, you know, a book turn into a movie. Um, But something else that I thought was interesting was he hated the choice for Jack Nicholson.
0: Well, it's... uh... Jack Nicholson is a very unique actor and, you know, I think everyone will say his portrayal of the Joker is fantastic. He was a perfect casting for that. Which
1: so much of this film, he feeds into the Joker. Yeah. I couldn't, no, I know. I was I
0: waiting for this hotel needs an enema. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I was waiting for that. Uh, and it, it's just, he is, his deliveries and the way he does things is his way. And uh, I could definitely understand if you create this character in your mind and you maybe want him to be more uh, a white bread regular man, you don't get that with Jack. You get regardless of what level of crazy your character is supposed to be, regardless if it's not crazy at all or very crazy, you're going to get that element of spontaneity and of just being a little off kilter that makes him such a fun actor to watch. But if you wrote the character, maybe that's not what you wanted. Yeah, and from the
1: contemporary point of view, from when King first says this, and, and I think this, you'll agree, probably makes a little bit more sense as well. You know, Kubrick has Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. where he also plays a crazy guy. And so Stephen King felt like the problem was going to be that viewers were going to walk into The Shining and immediately realize he's gonna act like he did, and someone flew over the cuckoo's nest. Which, for a movie that's only four years apart from this movie, I, I think he's got a valid claim mm-hmm. that, you know, people are gonna think of what was the last big movie Nicholson was in and try to see it that way. I mean, we just made that relationship with the Joker, right? Yeah. So I, I think that that, that concern is um, like, I get it, but I think like now looking at it today, I, I honestly think that Jack Nicholson's performance in this movie is one of the greatest performances in cinema. I it is so. I don't know, like I don't know how you can capture that kind of craziness without being a little crazy yourself, right?
0: Well, to to further <laughs> caps to capstone your point, uh, I think we would agree that there was some influence and there was attempt. By Heath Ledger to reach what Jack Nicholson did yeah. in The Shining, yeah, and Heath Ledger died trying to be that crazy because I think there's a lot of influence between Jack Torrance and Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah, I think there's a lot, for a lot sure. Of parallels. And and so you you just. It just sort of, it, you know, just affirms the point you're making. Like there's a certain level of crazy you have to have. Your brain doesn't have to. Your brain can't work the same way other people's brains work to be able to act in that way. I just don't. I don't believe it because you don't get performances like that out of other people. No. And and it's not just, you know, I, I would say I don't think Jack
1: Nicholson actually has a lot of words. So much of the acting in the movie are his mannerisms his facials Those are yes awesome. his facial expressions from from when he's being interviewed in the beginning to when he's trying to get the bartender to give him a drink like there's just you know to when he's in that crazy madness of rage there's just so many different elements that he has to do it's not just the voice acting it's the visual acting and that even includes, like when he's limping through the last forty minutes of the movie, because again, you're trying to portray when he gets you know, when he hurts his um, ankle or whatever. Like it, it's all of that combined, and 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 the way that he walks is creepy, right? Like when he's got that axe in his hand and he's just kind of flopping around to go after Danny and the maze and all that. Like that's that's such great acting. I love it. And I guess the famous line "Here's Johnny" mm-hmm. was ad libbed. I would have
0: guessed that, yes.
1: And Kubrick was living in the UK at the time, and he did not get the reference. They almost cut that part Mm -hmm. because
0: he didn't know that that was a thing. Well, I had to explain to my wife, who's maybe a little less tuned into the world of comedy slash comedy that existed... Uh, before she was born, <laughs> yeah. Uh, who Johnny? She's like, I thought his name was Jack. I was like, no, no it's, it's Johnny Carson. Like, yeah. And she's like, I don't know who that is. Like, it's okay. He was one of the funniest people ever. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, the next thing is, I
1: mean, we can. I don't know if we really need to talk a whole lot plot wise. Maybe more. I kind of wrote down in, in a couple notes here, like themes. Like, what do we think Kubrick is trying to portray here? So, I mean, we get the idea, and I guess even to go back a little bit further, so... Because there's a base plot. Let's lay down the base plot real quick. Yeah, well, let me me say quickly, too, though, because it ties into this. So, I have actually, this was my first time seeing the movie from beginning to end. I'll say that. Because it's a long one. It is a long one, and it's something that I always saw on TV, and I saw it many times on TV, but it was always either, like, in the middle of the film, and then I'd finish watching it. Or it was um, like right when when Danny runs into the twins in the hallway. So I always knew like what was happening in the film, but I never understood like the setup to the film. So when that ties into our plot, you know, essentially we find out that Jack is going to be the caretaker of this hotel or he's interviewing to be the caretaker of this hotel. And he finds out that, well, there is a past to the hotel, right? The former caretaker or two caretakers ago went crazy, cabin fever, or whatever it is you want to call it, uh, occurred, chopped up the family, if I remember right, and stacked them up, Uh, and then he shot himself, right, Mm -hmm. killed himself. And so you get a little bit of a taste there when he's doing the tour with the family we find out that the site was Native American and was on a Native burial ground, uh, and so there was frequent attacks while they were working
0: on building the hotel itself. So, and, and one of the important things to to preface with this is while Jack is accepting this job, it's under the pretense of. This is a hotel that shuts down for 5 months a year cuz it's in the mountains and gets snowed in. Yeah. There's no way in, no way out for half the year, and that's 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 the setup for this is it's this man taking his family to this giant hotel he has to take care of and in complete seclusion. So, like you mentioned, they're taking a tour. That's the day the hotel's shutting down for the season. Yeah. They're giving him this tour, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is built on ancient Indian burial ground. Like, they had to really uh, fight a few off to, to build the hotel. Like, that sort of stuff right away. Just so there, there's, there's uh, little things dropped Right at the mm-hmm. beginning to let you know trouble's coming ahead. Yeah. A lot of and, foreshadowing.
1: And and then we run into the chef, the head chef, who has a conversation with Dick the little boy. Halloran. Dick
0: Halloran. <laughs>
1: yeah. Who who has a conversation with the this boy. This weird-ass
0: yeah. kid. Yeah. Which is, talks to himself.
1: Yeah, right? Like, this is Tony as he moves his finger around. And we find out kind of the, the idea of the movie, the shining, right? It's I guess my thought is it's this kind of telepathic ability and then also
0: being able to relive or re-see events from the past. If if someone asked me to describe it, I would I would use the term clairvoyance. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So so then we get that realization because that
1: was something that always did puzzle me watching it on TV was I'm like, why? Why does this black guy like come and try to save the family? Like, who is he? Like, I, I was never able to put all of that together watching it on TV. So I'm like, okay, now now I can see how this is. And so essentially the movie, you know, Jack is a writer. He wants to work on a new book. We find out too, though he's he's had problems with alcoholism. So it's just like it's a recipe for disaster, mm-hmm. which is what I love because you're just seeing it all slowly unfold. That he, you know, there was a a point when they share the story that that Jack accidentally like hurt Danny. You know, one night he got home late from drinking. There's an incident in the room 237 which is a whole conversation about that room and how the boy shouldn't go in there and we don't really know but the boy ends up hurt like I guess we're assuming it is the the spirit that hurt him but then maybe he hurt himself we
0: were kind of left to to make our own claim right well the, a lot of this movie <laughs> yeah a lot of this movie is show without tell yep you see, you see the aftermath of something that happened and you're left not knowing if it was based in reality, if it was a vision, if it were a spirit, if it, you know, you don't know with so much of this movie uh, and... That's part of the fun of it.
1: Yeah, it is. It is absolutely my favorite part of the film is it's it's almost like a choose your own belief of what you think this movie is really telling you. Like there's so many open ideas that you can go with on this. And and you and I discussed it briefly uh, earlier today, but I guess there is a documentary room 237 yeah. Um, that talks about all the different theories that are out there uh, about this film. And so a couple of of themes that, that have been brought up, which I think is interesting, is one is a theme of masculinity. So when he's at the bar and and he talks about how like I'm the provider and I need to do what I need you know we're under a contract you know like there's that whole conversation that goes on there's a little bit of sexism in the film as well I find that I chuckled a little bit when when they were doing the tour of the kitchen Jack left to go do something yeah. else that was left to the woman Um, even a little bit of racism that was that was the one like that aged scene when he, when they used the racial slur Oh yeah yeah
0: they they, dro- they dropped an they dropped an n in there and I remember Duh. being in the theater like oh I didn't know that was going to happen I there. didn't know either I think that's cut out when I watch yeah. it on TV Yeah they say, they say the n word and you know it's like oh I just didn't expect I, it was one of those things that because it's it's a movie that again we're talking about themes maybe one of the themes is internal darkness within people yeah well racism is an ugly dark thing inside of people so yeah you know it was one of those things like okay uh, i'm not gonna sit there and say what was or wasn't necessary but it was a scene between two people that are being depicted as evil dropping that slur in a negative context yeah you know it, it is armed to hurt so yeah, it was just it was a shocking part of the movie. And you're right, it doesn't age well. It it, it something like that never ages well, but you know, yeah. here we are.
1: Yeah, and another theme is like the removal of humanity. So there there's a lot of things that I read that, that we see Jack get stripped from being a human being to acting animal instinctive like, right? Like by the end he's not even talking in words. He's just Just grumbling and making noises. And and there's that kind of that movement to madness. One thing I did find interesting, and looking back on it, I'm like, okay, I kind of like this. Which maybe this is Kubrick's whole idea. Is they talked about that this movie might be an allegory to uh, Native Americans getting wiped out during Westward expansion. That the film is, you know, the hotel is on this ancient burial ground. There's all of these themes of Native American, you know, pictures and depictions. I guess like even like in the cellar where all the food is and all that, I guess there's hints of all sorts of different tribes and leaders that are going on. Um, They drop a line about the white man's burden.
0: Yeah, when Jack's at the bar talking to the bartender. Um, yeah. the bartender that you don't know if they're real or a vision or a spirit. Like, yeah. you know, again, anyone that's not immediately in the, the Torrance family, the three members of the Torrance family, we don't even know if they're real or not when they show up in the movie. Um, but... Yeah, he's like, yeah, you know, white man's bird. And I was like, well, that was a weird thing to say. But, you know, again, maybe it is a clue into uh, a little bit of a wink into the theme and the, the subtext that's being presented.
1: Yeah, and the last one that they talked about a lot is... Um so the picture at the end was taken on July fourth, and it's a party because it's Fourth of July. But that would not be a day of celebration for Native Americans, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah. So there's that that whole conversation going on as well. And an axe is like a tomahawk, and there's just all sorts of different theories that tie around it. And I kind of like that. Like I can see that that how that could be tied into it. I just I think of that because um, when I taught U.S. history, the film The Wizard of Oz. There's an ongoing theme that that is actually an allegory that is talking about um, uh, the Gilded Age. That okay. it's, it's a commentary on like the rise of capitalism and the gold standard and things of that nature. So I feel like this, this can very much play a similar role, possibly, in what he's trying to do here. Um, and so I guess we can kind of share at this point um, what is a scene that stands out to you, Dead Eye? I can share a couple, too, but...
0: Man I'm trying to think of one that really landed with me. We talked about the, the scene in the bathroom mm-hmm. where where Jack is talking with a a butler or a server that's that's in the mansion. Grady, right. Grady.
1: Which which we find out is
0: the name of the other caretaker that killed his family. So again, uh, you're like, is he talking to the spirit of this person? Is this a vision? You don't know. You you just yeah. know that there is not reality is not happening well who yeah. knows how, how the perception of this uh this vision is happening but um like just the the visuals of that scene i really liked and i also actually really like jack's first scene at the bar where he's talking to the bartender mm-hmm. um or the vision of the bartender again it's it's the facial ticks, it's the yep. little little things about that one that I really liked.
1: And I love too, I love the second scene in the ballroom where he walks in and it's a whole huge party. Mm -hmm. Like, I just love the way it's all set up because he kind of walks in like, it's tough to get at, like, what is he thinking? Is this like normal? Because he just kind of strolls up to the bar like, uh, I'm blanking on the, the bartender's name, Lloyd. Lloyd! You know what to do, right? Like, he just acts like this party going on around him is perfectly normal right now. And then when the drink spills on him, like, it's like, okay, whatever. And then, like you mentioned, that scene into the bathroom, the tension that goes on between Grady uh, and Jack in that red bathroom. I love that as well. And my other favorite scene in this movie obviously... Naked Old Lady. Cool. No! Not (laughs) Naked Old Lady. Naked Old Lady freaked me out. Um, Again, I think that's a scene that that gets partial I, it must get cut or edited when it's on TV. Yeah. Just like I also didn't expect the the naked black lady images in um, yeah, in the, in the, in the yeah, chef's was, apartment. There was that, that, that. more than one fro in each picture. <laughs> yeah, that threw me off a little bit. But my other favorite scene, well, I guess two more. But again, I think they're the most famous ones. Is obviously when he's got that axe and he's going into the door. Which I guess um, I read that Jack Nicholson. Was um, a fire rescue volunteer, so really? originally it was not a real door. And I guess Jack like ripped through that door so fast that Kubrick's like, you know let's try a real door, and then that kind of slowed him down to bring in that emotion. Yeah, but I love it. It's not so much the hear Johnny line. I like it when he when he brings up the three little pigs. Yeah, like that's such a creepy thing to say. Like, oh and I'll pop. And I'll blow your house in. And just the way, like, he talks. And then, obviously, the chase with Danny in the maze. I love that. And when his body freezes at the end. Mm-hmm. So good.
0: So good. I also really like there, there's a scene. It's now at least the second time that we've seen Jack be just awful to his wife when. Mm. Just like cuz again the movie starts to show this person's descent into madness but you don't know are we seeing madness are we seeing who this person actually is we do cuz we don't know the character well yeah. enough um, but the the second scene they're on the stairs and she has a bat she knows that there's something wrong with her <laughs> husband and he's going to try and hurt her and that's why I said earlier <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you you know <laughs> like, yeah. you know it's uh it's a really good scene yeah um So with that,
1: uh, I think it's time we can probably kind of give our our machete ruling. I do want to bring up that last year, this movie was put into the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. So it it is forever embedded in history Mm -hmm. uh, to be a a movie that will be shared among people. And then also, which I didn't know until we saw the preview for it, uh, there's a sequel coming out in just a few weeks.
0: Doctor Sleep coming out in early November 2019, starring Ewan McGregor. Obi-Wan I, himself. Obi-Wan, or in this house, not only Obi-Wan, he's Christopher Robin. <laughs> yeah, that Winnie the Pooh, that true. Christopher Robin movie is a good movie. I haven't seen it yet, but... Um, I. My my wife purchased the replica of all of the Winnie the Pooh toys from that movie. So oh, they're, they're gotcha. adorable. So okay. um, I'm I'm actually excited for that. After seeing The Shining for the first time, it got me you know pumped up. Like I want to go see this Doctor Sleep movie. Yeah, I definitely
1: do as well. Um, I can go first on the rating because because sure. this is your first time seeing it. So I'm curious uh, how you want to deal with it. I I find this an absolutely terrific movie. Like I love every single piece of it. I love the acting, I love the look, I love the feel, I love the pace, even though in, in 2019, that's a pace that I don't think could work anymore. But, um, you know, I love watching the madness and the acting that goes on in the film. I mentioned my love of this movie, or of the music, rather. It, it's It's like a near-perfect movie for me. Like, this is one that I could watch... Oh, I do. Like like it always hits TV this time of the year and it's again, even though I always catch the the tail end of it, I always will sit and watch it and will not leave until it's it's over. I'm giving this a full five machetes. Oh You won't offend me.
0: No <laughs> you I'm, have that look in your eyes. I'm trying to make an internal decision of what I wanna do. Yeah. Um so when I was younger again I did a lot of time studying film and movies in college and I would definitely say at a point in my life I would have looking back I'm like man I was pretty pretentious at the way I thought of movies and I grow in I grew into being like movies are just fun mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter if they're artsy or intelligent or overthought like movies can just be fun and a lot of what we're talking about this month is movies that are just fun and i love them because they're fun or i love them because they they, the characters are cool or the gore was cool or the setup and twists were cool um but this movie is actual art you know like from the the story was a, a crafted love story by Stephen King and the cinematography the sound design the choices the acting everything in this movie was art because this was a high budget masterfully crafted film which makes me want to say it's it's a five it's a five machete but I don't know if I want if I want to nitpick but I'm gonna give it 4.9.8 <laughs> okay there had to have been some other choice. In direction to convey that Danny had like an alter ego, best fr- like imaginary mm. friend, different than him, wiggling his finger when he talked in a different voice. That yeah. bothered me. Like, like I'm Tony. Tony doesn't <laughs> like you, and he's wiggling his finger. That wasn't creepy to me. It was just like, what's wrong with this kid? He got a tick or something. <laughs> like, what? Like, like there, just, there could have been. A visual cue that wasn't the kid waving his fingers. It could have been the kid staring off into the distance. It could have been uh, the trying to work with a child actor to get their facials to do something. And again, I don't know if that's in the book,
1: yeah. but if it is stupid, you
0: wiggling your finger and talking in a different voice w- didn't elevate the tension. Or it just, it, to me, I, that, that's the one nitpick I had that bothered me throughout the movie. There was something we had to see a lot. And, again, that's super nitpicky for something that yeah. is what you consider an artwork and a classic and a masterful film.
1: Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Um, from what I can remember, though, I feel like he does turn away from the finger near the end. It is kind of more the visual yeah. cues. But but still, like there is a lot there that's missing, like why any of that works the way that it does. Yeah. And it's funny because we talked about this when we were leaving the theater. Like, usually when things don't make sense for me in a movie, like, that actually kind of turns me off. It frustrates me. But kind of what you just mentioned, there's so much mystery and intrigue and kind of come up with your own idea for this movie and what it's supposed to all be about and what's actually going on that it makes it fun. Mm -hmm. Like, you and I both said that that we've actually been thinking about this movie all day since we've seen it last night.
0: You know... And I don't know if we want to go in-depth into this or not. I kind of don't want to if you don't want (laughs) to. But there is a reveal at the end of the movie. I don't think it's fair to call it a twist because it's set up well enough where it's not really a twist. There's a reveal of some information that you can interpret how you want to interpret at the very end of the movie. It's like the last shot that makes you go, what? Wait a second. What was really happening the whole time? And that's what I've really been dwelling on. Like, okay, we we know these facts based on dialogue in the movie, but what does that actually mean? What actually happened at the end of the movie? And again, because we haven't given away too much of the movie uh, beyond that, if you haven't watched it all the way through. I want you to watch it and think about it yourself and get in the Gamesilla Media Discord and chat with us about it.
1: That's what I was going to say. I, I am curious what other people's opinions are of this movie. Because, again, like it wasn't well received when it first came out, but now it's thought of as, as a work of genius. But do current people still like it? You know, like, I actually talked about it in my classes today, and some of my students were really like, oh, yeah, I dig The Shining, and others were like, that movie's boring. Like, no thank you. So I would be curious kind of how people today think about this film overall. Mm
0: -hmm. It's a slow burn. Like, you were really nervous when we were going to see it because you know that I can be, I want to get straight to the point. Like, when I'm watching a a horror movie, I'm cool with someone getting murdered 30 seconds into the movie. Like, that's fine with me if that's what we're trying to watch. But uh, it is a slow burn, and it is a ride that you, you go on.
1: Yep. All right. So with that, um, just reminding everybody that we are part of the Gamezilla Media Network. Uh, we've got podcasts for you nearly every day of the week. Monday is last action podcast where we do our action movies. Uh, even though we're here on Friday, uh, offering these horror movies for this month of October, uh, what's on? What gets uh, done on Tuesdays? Deadite,
0: really Monday nights. Yeah, live Monday nights, Twitch.tv/slash Games of the Media, the Gamezilla podcast, where we talk about uh, gaming news, catch up on what's been going on in the gaming industry, and then uh, it releases everywhere. Last Action podcast can be heard. Uh, on Tuesday morning, so Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, gamesofthemedia.com, pretty much anywhere you get a podcast, we're there. And uh, if we're not there, shoot us an email and we'll get there. Yeah. And then Wednesday we have
1: our Noobs and Dragons show, which is our campaign of Dungeons and Dragons that, that I am also a part of running a campaign. I'm not running a campaign. Craig's running a campaign. I'm just barely surviving at this point. Thursdays is our Legend of Retro. And then Sunday is the Noiseland Arcade, our Simpsons podcast that we have. So we offer all of these, but then we also have additional content uh, through Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash games of media, all of these shows have special monthly episodes as well. And even beyond that, I believe you guys do still do the pre-show stuff, yeah, right? We,
0: each week. Yeah, we we'll do some pre-show and, uh, you know, with the games of the podcast, we're... Actively trying to come up with with more stuff to put on Patreon and, and just freshen things up. Make sure people are getting stuff on a regular basis that uh, is exclusive uh, and you know just a thank you for the financial contribution.
1: Yeah, and last action podcast we call it the post credit scene. So we just like to talk about not exactly a movie, but we'll talk about subjects in action movies that we discuss uh, each and every month as well. So there is a one dollar tier and a five dollar tier. Uh, the $5 tier does give you access to all of those additional episodes and some votes for different polls and whatnot as well. So if you can support us in any way, we'd love for you to go on to patreon.com slash games of and, and hook us up. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, we're going to actually send you off with, with a little special quick treat here. So I am a huge fan of the band My Morning Jacket, and their leader, Jim James, did a covers album in which one of the songs is the played throughout The Shining, and he tries to do it in the spiritual, shining way. So to kind of send us off, here is Midnight, The Stars, and You.